0: Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're joining us again this week for worship, and I hope you've enjoyed the service so far. And we have some things after the message, too, so don't forget to stick around for a little bit. You know, last week I shared an embarrassing story of myself, and I have another one this week. Don't worry, I'm not gonna share one every single week, but I do have a lot of them. (laughs) In fact, sometimes I feel like I have the spiritual gift of embarrassment. But when I was eight years old, my mom and dad signed me up for track and field and I was a really competitive kid. So I would get anxious and and I always wanted to come in first place and I'd get really upset if I didn't. And so uh, my, my parents signed me up for a third and fourth grade track meet and I was a second grader. And so I showed up at the meet ready to go. My events were the 400, the 200, the 100, and the long jump. And at this particular meet, I was really struggling with the long jump. On the very first jump, I slipped on the board because we think that somebody forgot to sweep it off with the gravel and sand, and I went head first into the sand pit. It was so embarrassing. I still remember hearing the the laughter of of the kids and and the parents kind of cringing. I'm so glad that there wasn't social media because I would have for sure become a meme or a gif. And I walked back to the beginning of the long jump run and I must have been pretty anxious because my dad came over and started talking to me. I don't remember what he said, but it must have worked a little bit and I took off running for my second attempt. But as I got closer to the board, I started to think, oh no, what if I slip again? And I completely scratched, which means I missed the board. I went over the mark and I had a terrible jump anyway. And the collective awe, that's okay, buddy, came out from all of the parents that were helping to work the sandpit that day. And so I walked back again, feeling terrible about myself with only one jump left. And you know, it's funny. It's it's hard to understand the power of these little moments in our lives. I mean, why do I remember a long jump contest for children that happened almost 45 years ago? What difference does it really make? Well, it's, it's not just about the event, is it? It's never really just about the event or, or who wins or who loses, although many, many parents and coaches and youth sports programs have made it all about winning and losing with, with horrendous consequences. But it's really about the journey that we're on, and more specifically, who we're with on that journey that we're on. I remember my dad came over and started to, to talk to me And I could just, I'm thinking about it like it was just yesterday. How he had this calm and confident voice. I remember how he got down on my level. I remember his cool 1975 thick mustache that, that he had before Tom Selleck made it popular in the 1980s. And I don't remember exactly what he said to me, but I remember he had a way of helping me to to calm down. And I knew that he believed in me. And I knew somehow that the actual result really didn't matter in the end. He just wanted me to to do my best and to have fun, which when you think about it, is is a great philosophy of life, right? Do your best and, and have fun. I remember that I trusted him enough to give it another try. And it's with that mindset that I ran down the track for my third and final jump. And I must have hit the board perfectly because I flew into the air, landed in the pit, and once they measured it, they shouted out, 11 feet, eight inches. (laughs) I'm 52 years old, and I still remember that it was 11 feet, eight inches. It was good enough for second place that day. You know, I've lived over half of my life and I still remember that there was somebody who loved me enough to come close to me and be with me when I was frustrated and when I was failing, who would speak truth to me, who would believe in me even when I didn't believe in myself after I had had these two failures. I still remember that there was somebody that I trusted enough to run as fast as I could towards a sandpit with no guarantees. With only one thing in mind that they would be there at the end of it, no matter what. And this is what faith looks like. In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The ancients were the heroes of the faith and they were the ones who, whose lives told the story of faith. They were the ones that, that God called to himself They were the ones that God met in a personal way, and He was with them in the middle of their frustration and failures. And if you read the scriptures, there's a lot of frustration and failures. They were the ones that God spoke truth to, even when it was difficult. And God believed in them enough to call them to participate in His mission. And they trusted God and took one step forward each day in that journey, knowing that there was no guarantees, but, but that God would be there through it all. You see, faith isn't guarantees, is it? But it includes a confidence that comes out of a relationship of love. Let me ask you today, what's your story of faith? Faith isn't certainty because we all have doubts. In fact, doubts is a part of the journey of faith. Instead, faith includes, it includes a hope as that scripture was telling us. And it also includes an undergirding steadiness. It's like when we walk across a bridge and we we have this trust that that the bridge is is strong. There's this undergirding steadiness to each step that we take. In fact, the Hebrew word that, that gets translated assurance in Hebrews 11 means undergirding steadiness. And it was with that thought in mind that the psalmist, probably King David, wrote the words, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so what is what does that look like in your life? What does faith look like to you? We're in week five of a six-week series called Six Words That Will Change Your Life. And we've been taking this slow walk through this old friend, Psalm 23. And the next word, or really the next theme that emerges out of this psalm is the word faith. And as we look back on our journey, we've we've discovered different things about the journey. We've discovered that it begins with this incredible sense of enough. We are enough. God is enough. There is provision and there is peace and there's restoration. And then there's this incredible call on our lives to participate in his mission. And so we move into action. But we know that the journey not it's not safe, is it? And so we all spend time, usually multiple times in some sort of valley, the valley of the shadow of death but we know that we can hold on to an incredible hope in that valley because God is with us to comfort and to guide. He never leaves us alone. And as we emerge, we emerge with this sense of honor because we are anointed for this mission of love, a mission of love that actually includes loving our enemies. And this is the abundant life. And as we move on from there, God continues to follow us as we go. And today is also Palm Sunday. And so traditionally, Christians from all around the world celebrate this day as Jesus entered into Jerusalem 2000 years ago. Jesus would come from the town of Bethany and this area called Bethpage, and he would come down from the Mount of Olives towards the eastern gate of the city. And when he did, he was riding on a young donkey and people were throwing coats in front of him and they were waving palm branches, which which both would have symbolized kingship and authority as Jesus was writing, I have to uh, I have to sense that he was probably feeling both joy and sorrow at the same time. Because if you read in Luke 19, how the story goes, the people are crying out and they're saying Hosanna, which means which means Lord save us. And, and they're quoting these Old Testament psalms, the, these these ancient songs that they were used to singing that had become these messianic Promises and prophecies that one day the king would come. And so they're singing this out to Jesus. In fact, later on, when the gospel writers would write these stories, they would remember that in the Old Testament book of Zechariah chapter 9, it said that your king will come to you humble, riding on a young donkey. And they saw this as the fulfillment of, of all of that. And, you know, the Pharisees were there, too. And they they told Jesus, hey, make all these people stop seeing this to you and shouting this to you. And Jesus says, hey, if they don't do it, then the rocks are going to cry out. And there had to be this sense of this. This was a divine moment. But it was also a moment of sorrow. In fact, Jesus weeps over the city. And he weeps because they didn't recognize truly who was among them or the moment that was at hand. And it wasn't the first time that Jesus would weep over Jerusalem. In fact, in in Luke 13, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I have wanted to gather you to myself. As a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wing." Jesus wanted to gather them and shelter them, but it says they were not willing. And so the very people here that are shouting Hosanna and they're praising Jesus and they're worshiping him as a king, many of them, no doubt, in less than a week, will be shouting crucify him because we know that Friday is on its way. If I were a a Christian in the late first century and I'm reading Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, I would probably deeply feel the love in Jesus through these narratives. His heart was breaking because he wanted to draw people to himself into a transformational relationship and that's exactly what he wants to do with us as well. He's still drawing people to himself. He's reaching out in love. And the thing that makes that relationship possible from our side is faith. How could faith change you? I believe that faith changes everything. And so today I want you to consider, to stop and think honestly how God wants to gather you under his wing how he wants to change you as we take this slow walk where we, where we live not with guarantees and not with certainty, but we live with tremendous hope and that undergirding sense of steadiness that we have in our great God. And this is also why Hebrews goes on to say that without faith, it's impossible to please God, because what pleases God is that relationship with you. As we come to him and we allow him to transform our lives, God is overjoyed. And it's a relationship that never stops growing. There was somebody else who entered Jerusalem that day, but they didn't come in through the East Gate. They probably came in through the West Gate. Maybe if it wasn't on that day, it was certainly sometime that week. But this person didn't ride a young donkey. They rode a war horse. And they didn't come humble and meek. They came to show incredible power and dominance and control. They didn't come to bring peace, but they did come to make sure that nobody got out of line. (laughs) They didn't come through the East Gate. They came through the West Gate. You see, at some point during this week, the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, who lived in Caesarea by the sea, would travel with military might, 55 miles to Jerusalem during the Passover festival. And he came to make sure that nobody got out of line because... It was, it was these types of seasons that, that some people would get filled with, with a religious zeal. And there were insurrectionists who, who wanted to spark some sort of demonstration or even worse, a revolution. And Pilate's whole life depended on him keeping the peace. He was appointed by the emperor to do this. And so when he rolled into town, the vibe would have been completely different. And so it's like there's this amazing grand play going on, like a Shakespearean play where you have one king coming in from the east and another king coming in from the west. It's a clash of kingdoms. And it's also a moment of incredible fulfillment. You see, this is the moment that the ancient Israelites were waiting for. This is the climax of their story. They looked forward to this moment. We look back at this moment. God had made a covenant with ancient Israel and he wasn't gonna break that covenant. It seemed like the covenant wasn't being fulfilled and they, they cried out to God and they wanted God to come and rescue them from their, from their oppressors. They had gone into exile and they had come out of exile, but they were still not the ones in charge. And so they were waiting and hoping that something would change. But there was this belief there was this concept in the Hebrew culture known as hased. And hased is it, it's, a, it's a very important theme in Jewish culture. And it's hard to to translate. In fact, Bible translators translate the word has said in many different ways. Sometimes it's mercy. Sometimes it's loving kindness. Sometimes it's loyalty. Sometimes it's covenant loyalty. But we find this word and this concept all over the Hebrew scriptures. And it's actually the word that David uses in Psalm 23 when he says that love will follow him all the days of his life. What he's saying is God's covenant loyalty, God's faithfulness and his mercy, they're all going to follow me all the days of my life. In other words, God is not going to let us down in the end. He's going to remain faithful to his covenant even when we are faithless. The New Testament writer Paul would say this as well. He would say even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny his own character. And so there was this deep trust in the character of God, and there was this deep hope that he would finally show up and rescue him and rescue them. And see, here's the thing. said this covenant loyalty, it makes the very end of the psalm possible where we see this dwelling, this abiding, In the Hebrew, it's tabernacling. God comes to dwell and set up camp among his people. There was this sense that God was this relational God. And and, and again, we look back on that and we see this in Jesus covenant loyalty. That's what made the dwelling possible. And so the encouragement in this series has been to take a slow walk and do some radical self-reflection. And one of the questions that we ask ourselves is, how are we doing with these different words that we've been talking about? And this week, the question is, how are we doing in our faith? And, you know, that can be kind of a, a broad question, but, but maybe I can give you some principles that, to kind of help you along this journey. And so let me just give you three ideas that maybe you can wrestle with this week. The first one is this, is that when we read the scriptures, it's helpful to read them with a Christocentric hermeneutic which is basically a fancy kind of Bible nerd way of saying that Jesus is the lens through which we read the Bible. (laughs) And again, so they're looking forward to this moment of Jesus entering Jerusalem. We're looking back. And so we have a vantage point of being able to read the whole scripture through the lens of the life of Jesus The death of Jesus, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus and the eventual return of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, these these gospel books. One of the reasons why why they're so precious is because this is where we fall in love with the Savior. I had an old professor when I was in college who said, never stop reading the gospels. And it's not that they're any more inspired than any other part of the Bible. It's it's that this is where we see Jesus up close and personal, face to face. And this is one of the reasons why, why every single week, when we've been talking about Psalm 23, we always attach a gospel story to that verse. Because we need to read Psalm 23 through the lens of Jesus And when we do, it begins to come alive for us. David said that the Lord was his shepherd, and we look back and we read it through the lens of our good shepherd, Jesus. And so in your self-reflection, contemplate on Jesus, the good shepherd. The second principle is that we all at some point need to give somebody else editability in our lives. I love accountability. It's good and it's useful and it's necessary. But I think editability is actually better. Editability is when we hand somebody in our life the red pen of editability so that they can write into our story. And we all need this. We need people that will speak into our lives and to speak with love and and, and to come alongside us to show us things that need to change. Because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of misspelled words in my life. (laughs) I have run on sentences. I have whole paragraphs that need to be X'd out and things that need to be moved around. We all need good editors in our lives. Over the last year, I've had five people that have been editors in my life at various levels, two guys and three gals. One of them is, is, is a trained spiritual director and a theologian, and, and another one is, a, is, a, is in pastoral leadership. And, and really, there's just a whole spectrum of people in those five people. But it's made a tremendous difference in my life. And so in your self-reflection, Reflect in relationship and in community with others and give somebody permission to write into your story. We see Jesus and the disciples doing this. (laughs) He teaches them how to do this. And then we see them doing that in the book of Acts. And sometimes it's pretty rough because there's some confrontation and there's some arguing. Uh, And then we, we, we see them working this out. And it's not clean and it's not easy, but it's good. And we grow from it begins to change our lives. And so as we self-reflect on this journey of faith, we read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus with a Christocentric hermeneutic, and we also practice healthy editability. And then finally, the last principle is that self-reflection works best when we practice solitude. Solitude is just necessary. And we see Jesus practicing this again and again, and he teaches his disciples how to do this. I've spoken a little on this before, that solitude is actually a gift for the community. We go away so that when we come back, we can be a gift. And you know, right now, some of you are, are getting the unintentional opportunity to practice quite a lot of solitude. What if you were just a tremendous gift when you came back to your community? Some of you, this isn't a solitude time at all because your house is full and it's gotten crazy. And some of you even have little kids and it's chaotic. I I remember those days. In fact, I miss the days of when my kids were little. We used to call it our sacred chaos when it it was like a bomb hit our house. (laughs) But I, I understand, and we need to give ourselves tons of grace during those seasons. My prayer for you is that when we emerge from this time, that you would be able to schedule some really good solitude for yourself. In my own life, I've done that usually on a monthly basis, quarterly basis, and then a yearly basis. And all of them are structured different, but all of them are structured and very intentional. And so my encouragement to you is, in your self-reflection, practice a structured solitude. And I hope that as you lean into those three principles, that it'll help you dig a little bit deeper on this slow journey through Psalm 23. I had the chance to pass on what my dad did for me when my oldest son was six years old. (laughs) One time we went to this sports store at the mall and they had this huge climbing wall. It, It went up way above the second floor of the mall. And he really wanted to do it. And so we strapped him in and he started climbing and he was doing a great job until he got about halfway up the wall. And then he sort of froze <laughs> and he was looking down and, and, and he started to say, I, I want to come down and I had gone up to the second floor and so I was almost eye level with him. And if you know anything about me, I'm introverted and I do not like to draw attention to myself out in public. <laughs> it's one of the worst environments imaginable for me. But my dad powers took over in that moment. And I just started to yell really loud, and everybody was looking at me, but I didn't care, and I was trying to encourage them. And then I remembered that I had read in a book one time about this dad that was telling a story about his son and how he called his son a wild man. And so I just started yelling, dude, you're a wild man. You can do it. Come on. And I kept yelling that over and over. And after a really short 30 seconds or something like that, actually, it felt like an eternity. He took a step up the wall. And then he grabbed another handhold and he started to go further and further. And I just kept yelling and he got to the very top of this wall and he rang this bell that was at the top. And when he did that, everybody in the store started cheering for him. I ran downstairs as fast as I could so that I could meet him at the bottom. And, and after we got him out of all of, the, all of the harness and everything, we started to walk out the store And as we were walking out, he had this grin on his face and he sort of half looked up at me with this grin and he said, Dad, you you called me a wild man. (laughs) And I said, I sure did, dude, I sure did. This is what faith looks like. Faith is a movement of trust. It's a movement of hope in our lives. My prayer for us at Saratoga Federated Church is that we would continue to take another step of faith in our journey as individuals, but also also as a community, as we have been on this journey now as a church for over 100 years. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks so much that... Goodness and love, your said would follow us all the days of our life. And through that relationship of faith that is so transformational, that changes our lives, we can experience dwelling with you for all eternity. We're grateful for that and we're especially grateful for that right now when we are separated and we are in our own homes and there's, there's a level of uncertainty and anxiety all around us. And so today, Lord, we, we center ourselves in you, the Good Shepherd, and we walk with you by faith and not by sight, just as the people of God have always had to walk. And along the journey, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. God bless.